This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back to another eight weeks of podcast, everybody. I think, uh, OG, we're refreshed and ready to go. You ready to go? Seatbelt on? It feels like we haven't stopped podcasting, but yes. But that's the nature of doing work you love. And speaking of people who love to keep us safe, the men and women in our armed forces. So after a good holiday week last week, let's raise our coffee mugs to the men and women keeping us safe in our armed forces. Here's to you. Big shout out to you from the men and women making podcast in mom's basement and the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union. Let's go stack some Benjamins together, shall we? Why do I feel like you also just wanted to do a product placement for the Stacking Benjamins mug? I do. I do. Hey, I we've got, we got, we're on video now, guys, and people are watching us, so we can do this too. Watch that. You can buy one of these. Piggybacking on the fine men and women in our armed services to steal their ad time for our mug sales. I don't know if you know this, Doug, but the big money uh, that Bezos made was in it was in mugs, like coffee mugs. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. Did you miss us? Let me be the first to welcome you to another eight weeks of three days a week podcasts. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, but you can just call me Doug. Over there by the water heater are our hosts, I'll identify them in a minute because first, we usually start by telling you about our special guest. On today's show, we welcome a great one, the financial samurai himself, Sam Dogan. You're going to love our weekly Monday feature called the TikTok Minute that comes right after our headline, where today we'll talk about the danger of buying the dips. After our guest, we like to throw out the Haven Lifeline to answer a listener question or two. And on every show, what's the best part? Yeah, that's my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who have been helping people usher in the fall for over a decade. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And a happy Monday to you, everyone, and a happy first day of our next eight weeks of podcast. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and what a show, OG, the uh, controversial man himself, kicking it off. There are people who love this gentleman. There are people who don't like this gentleman, but he brought it with his latest book, and we definitely want to dive into it with him. Sam Dogan is here. 
Mr. Financial Samurai. How about that? I'm interested in hearing what he's got to say. He retired early. That's good stuff. He did retire early, and uh, people know that he has a reputation anyway for stirring the pot. We'll ask him about that, but more important, he and I than will that, get along just well. <laughs> you will, and he's got. He does have a lot of very good advice, and I can't wait to uh, to pick his brain on how we can save more money through better decision making. Uh, by the way, we're following it up this eight weeks. We also have Ramit Sadie coming on. We've got uh, Jaspreet Singh, Minority Mindset. A million people follow that channel out of Detroit, Michigan on YouTube. Super exciting. But before any of that, you know what I was thinking, OG? Uh, I am not a mind reader, so no. This, this is exactly what I was thinking first. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. We've got Sam Dogan kicking it off, but we've got a big headline first, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. You know, gee, I was uh, somehow came across this Etsy page uh, with with all these, you know, I like how you have to cover that up because you're on Etsy. <laughs> the app just keeps opening on its own. It's just weird. <laughs> like I was, stop I was it. sitting at my computer and then I was trying to crochet some stuff and thought, well, somebody probably already did this. And look at that, a beer koozie made out of yarn. I think I caught a Etsy Trojan horse. It was fantastic, but people making some Etsy stuff that says buy the dip and not even buy the dip. It's buy the F dip. Okay. And you can get t-shirts, you can get mugs, you get things with Warren Buffett telling you to buy the F and dip. Good stuff. Not really. And to prove that maybe that might be a problem, Morningstar has a recent piece. This comes to us from Sandy Waters wrote this at the Morningstar blog. Why buying the dips? could hurt your portfolio in a bear market. She says buying late versus early can lead to improved returns. 
Sandy says it's usually fashionable to be late to the party, especially, of course, when the stock market's throwing it. In that case, the accepted wisdom is to arrive early before the good times get going. Buying the dips is standard stock market practice, referring to investors scooping up shares at perceived discounts during market swoons in the expectation that they will resume their upward trajectories. But bear markets are a different sort of animal than run-of-the-mill corrections. Rallies within a bear market can often be mistaken for the beginnings of a new bull run, only to reverse course and head lower. Bottoms can be easily misjudged. Buying early in such cases often amplifies losses. This is a big concern. Whenever I hear people talking about, quote, back the truck up and I've got some quote, dry powder. So I'm going to change my whole strategy and throw as much in at today's price. That always worries me, OG. Well, I mean, from an investment perspective, really any time to buy is when you have the money and any time to sell is when you need the money. So at some level, if you have extra money today, whether maybe you just got a bonus or something like that, and you're trying to figure out if it's a good time, the answer is yes, now is a great time because you got to stop comparing the day-to-day market returns or the week-to-week or, you know, as we're sitting here now in September, nine months worth of market returns and go, well, I should have bought it in January. I should have bought it in July or I should have bought it in... You won't remember this price in 30 years from now. And if you're investing correctly for the next 10, 20 or 30 years, this is the price that uh, is immaterial in that calculation. It's that you got it. It's not that you got the S and P at four thousand or forty two hundred or thirty eight hundred. It's that you owned shares today so that they can start paying you dividends, so they can start compounding. You know, then I think the important thing is is to get rid of this idea that you're going to keep dry powder on the sideline. I mean, based on what you're saying, today's the day, right? I mean, if we're looking long term with our money, stop trying to decide that this is the dip. There is no, like, get rid of the phrase, the dip, or buy the dip, or buy the F dip. Just buy. Well, I get why people are thinking about this, right? Because you say, I take this bonus that that you just got, and you're thinking, do I do it today, or do I do it a week from now? Or I heard on the news that uh, Powell is talking on Thursday, so maybe I should wait until, you know, there's, you don't want to be wrong, but you the, the biggest way to be wrong is to just have it sit in cash. So I think you have to do a, a couple of things. If you can't get yourself to just invest it all today, if you're like, I just, I can't, it's a big number. I got this big check. I feel like I'm going to invest and it's going to go down 10% and then I'm going to be really ticked off. Pick a number that you're comfortable investing of that you know, amount of cash that you have today Think of a downside number where you go, hey, I timed this exactly right. I did. I was right. This did go down, and now the rest is going in. And then think of a, yeah, I totally forked it up, and um, yesterday was the best day. I missed it on the upside so that you're not out for the entire period of time. So the S&P's at 4,000 today. You think it might go down 10 more percent. So, okay, if it hits 3,600, I'm putting the rest of it in. But... If today is the low number, I have to eventually recognize that I, I, I missed it. And so maybe you say at 4,400, 10% higher, it's all going in. I can't afford to wait any longer. I've missed that 10% increase. I'm just going to be okay with whatever happens from here on out. So, so you can give yourself a couple of different permission times if you can't bring yourself to invest it all day, which is, I think, what you should do. The, the the problem with guessing anyway, it, it gets magnified in individual stocks. Dan Suzuki, who is the 
Deputy Chief Investment Officer Richard Bernstein Advisor says in this piece something interesting, which is that when you buy early, that often leads to another common mistake, which is you see that the leaders in the past cycle, that's what you want to buy. Yeah, and Amazon. Every, yeah, and every bear market we've had has had a switch in leadership. And I'll give you two examples. From 2000 to 2002, OG, remember, we had the tech run-up, Web 1.0 or whatever the hell it was, uh, that lasted till 2000. And you saw all those names rotate, right? And there was definitely, over the next two years, new companies that rose from the ashes, but during 2000 to 2010, those companies still weren't the leadership companies. There were whole different companies. And what's also interesting about 2000 to 2007, 2008 is that remember when we would recommend real estate as a diversifier and people would kind of look at you, they go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But they weren't in love with real estate. There was no, wow, yeah, I got to get in the real estate market. There was, you know, cheese balls on late night TV talking about it. It's the exact opposite. Now we're trying to get people out of real estate. 2007, 2008, it flips. Real estate becomes the hot thing, 2009, 2010, and the run up to what we're doing now. And so there's always a new cycle afterwards and in individual stocks, your feeling is, I got to get into the big stocks in the old cycle. Which is another great uh, reason for, uh, why, why bother playing that game? Just invest money into you know, a mutual fund or an ETF and call it a day. Guys, I kind of, I mean, there were a lot of words there and totally fascinating. I was engaged and dialed in like I always am, but I heard buy the dip and dry powder. So it sounds to me like we're going to have a kick-ass company party coming up. <laughs> Is that what I should take away from all of this? It does, doesn't it? We need to buy some dip. Yeah, if you're going to buy the dip, and dry OG. powder. That's the important part. <laughs> I, I don't know about the dry powder. <laughs> no, God, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Not approved. No, no that is, huh. that's probably not going to make the company, the company party. But buying the queso dip, that's a good one to buy. If the queso dip's on sale. Speaking of sales, by the way, let's transition from talking about stocks to talking about individual purchases. I got a piece here, OG, from money. Seven signs a good deal is really a bad one. So if you think in the stock market sell-off that is a bear market that you're getting a good deal, studies show you may not be, well, this is the same at the supermarket. Number one, so cheap, you might as well buy a ton. I mean, how often have you gotten burned at Costco by buying a pallet of something because it's a great deal? Never. <laughs> veggie straws. Always a great idea to buy. Veggie straws are amazing in veggie pallet straws. size. No, you, you go buy the little taste tester things and you have like two of something. You're like, oh, I got to buy this. And then you're like, what was I thinking? Because that bag sits there in the cupboard. Famous Amos cookies. Four months. Those things get just destroyed at our house. But yeah. You don't like veggie straws? They're card. I mean, they're styrofoam. They're just. They're delicious. And then they have different colors. Like they're supposed to be flavors. That's there a lie. There are different flavors. That's of a total there lie. Are. No, yes. I wrote a letter. I was so OG pissed about at that. OG Veggie straws are different flavors. Agree or disagree? Not the fake OG on Twitter. Go ahead. Some people have a more refined veggie straw palate, apparently, Doug, than others do. You can't taste the cinnamon or the tomato. <laughs> there's no basil. cinnamon. Not- <laughs> there's red ones, there's green ones, and there's yellow ones. Yes, potatoes, sweet potatoes. And something We're doing else. a blind taste test. We are absolutely doing a blind taste test. Supersizing also not a great deal. I've made that mistake in the, you're doing a road trip and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be sitting for eight hours. Let's supersize that McDonald's drive through so I can I stay on the road. I should get a triple burger 
bad idea. When was the last time you had a triple Wendy's? Never. Dave's triple. Have you? I, no? I don't think oh. I've ever had a triple. Why not? Doug's looking at us with his face. He's like, you want you me to be try honest? try it at least. I mean. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, Doug's like an hour ago. I don't. Like, I want to plead the fifth on this one. What day is it? <laughs> <laughs> when don't I have a triple from Wendy's? Is there anything else on the menu? <laughs> Buy two, get one free. Rarely a good deal because. And not because. False. Not because it's not a good I disagree deal. disagree with all this stuff. <laughs> what is spewing from your mouth right now? Because if you would have gone in wanting three, you would have bought three. But instead, you're like, oh, hey, if I, uh, it's just separating you and your money in your wallet. Number four on here is near code items. What are near code items? Let's read this. If you see a display of highly discounted items for sale at the grocery store, it may mean they're near code. Oh, yeah. They're bargain because of the fact they're about to expire. What a deal. So I'm not supposed to buy the inexpensive things, but I'm, and I'm also not supposed to get free things. What the heck? I'm just Only saying buy the might... freshest fruit. <laughs> <laughs> what suckers do that? I don't know. When the potatoes have stuff growing out of them, you get a discount. <laughs> Everybody knows that. No, no extra for the spuds growing out of the side. Product of the month clubs. I've done that on many occasions and ends up being two thirds what occasion. I really wanted and a third of what's that? I said you've done that on one occasion multiple times. One one barcode. One product. Yes, comes to yes. your house monthly like clockwork. Yes. Yes. Wine the club, we just call it. The the wine extends. Club. <laughs> no. <laughs> Joe's Joe's like, "Hey, uh, I got a meeting at the club tonight." I go, "Okay." <laughs> Product demonstrations, you feel guilty, so you decide that you, uh, you know, the person's so nice to share it with you and they're talking about it. You're like, oh, I'm going to pick one of these up because I really like it, only to jettison it like around the corner. My favorite, my favorite thing is the episode from uh, Parks and Recs with the veggie bacon. Yeah. On this very issue. (laughs) Would you like to sample our vegan bacon? 100% meatless. Yes, please. And in the trash. Another, please. And in the trash. Sir, is there a problem? I'm just making sure no one ever has to eat this. I I don't think I can give you any more. I want one. (laughs) And she chucks it in the trash. trash. (laughs) I love how they make those two characters friends. Like they should not be friends at all, but they are. I think it's that's a great thing they did. I will link to both of those pieces, the real pieces, maybe the Parks and Rec clip there too, but our main headline from Morningstar, if you want to know more about the dangers of buying the dip, especially if it's in a bear market, and a piece from Money Magazine on uh, when sales are really good, it might not be great for your wallet. And of course, Brooke Miller will have even more of those curated for us in our newsletter tomorrow, the 201, stackybedjamins.com slash 201. Getting ready for a big giveaway over there as well. So uh, come on over and check it out. Time for our TikTok Minute. This is the part of the show where we play some greatness that a uh, purveyor of social media brilliance shared with us. Doug, is today's greatness true greatness or is it hashtag greatness? Oh, no, it sucks. (laughs) <laughs> well, we will, we will see. This comes to us from from Twitter, and a gentleman takes a 
recorder round and asks people one simple question. Hey, sir, what is your car payment? Uh, mine is thirteen twenty-five. And what kind of vehicle is that? It's a twenty-two Ford Raptor. Okay. You have another payment? I do, actually. My wife's hers is a thousand. It's a twenty-two Ford Expedition. Perfect. Hey, ma'am, what is your car payment? Thirteen eighty-six. And what kind of car requires a thirteen hundred and eighty-six dollar payment? A twenty twenty-two Grand Wagoneer Series Three. Perfect. Hey, sir, what is your car payment? I got a couple of them, but the first one's fourteen forty-five. What kind of car is that? That's a new GMC Sierra 2500 Denali. What's the other one? Uh, it's a wide-body CTSV. That's eleven sixty-one. Nice payment. Hey, sir, what is your car payment? <laughs> Bro, what's your car payment? And what kind of car are you driving? You know, honestly, I was about to make my car payment. I'll even show you. It's kind of funny. Everybody's talking about high payments. Look at that number right there. <laughs> That's my car payment. And he shows him $1,516, which is not cheap on its own. But how about the dude making what? Uh, if I remember right, about $2,600 a month in car payments. Oh, my God. Seems like a lot. It's just a skosh. It's just a skosh high. On a depreciating asset. Wow. $2,500 a month or $1,500 or even $1,300. Like, I was blown away by the first one. It was like, what, $1,200? I can't go buy that yeah. back that far because my mind is blown. Mine's a grand, but it's at 0%. I had the cash to pay it, but why at 0%? It seems like those are probably purchases and zero down because I can't imagine lease payments on a couple of those vehicles being that high. Fleeces would be even worse, don't you think? I say lease is even Never more. Ends. No. Yeah, the, the lease is difficult. But no. Never Guys, ends. you're on a lease, you're buying half of the residual value at the end of three years. Plus interest. Well, yeah. A lease, but- is, a lease is nearly always a worse deal than a purchase. Almost uh, if from a cash flow standpoint, a monthly cash flow standpoint, that's why they got so popular because they're less expensive on a mo- monthly cash flow basis. You're right. You're definitely right. Ford, GM, Chrysler, they were like, guys, no, we got to do something right by everybody. We got to create a program that's better for consumers, not for no, us. No, I'm not saying that it's a better, smarter financial decision. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if all you care about is how much money per month and oh, I want to spend the okay. least amount per month. Half of the residual value over three years is typically a lower lease payment, which is why they got so popular. I'm not saying it's the smarter thing to do. I'm I just see. saying okay. it's easier You're on the cash it's flow. Less expensive from a cash flow standpoint. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Only from yeah. that, but you don't have anything. I mean, you barely have an asset even when you buy it, but you don't have anything when you're done and you're going to perpetuate those monthly payments forever. Yeah, I mean, that's why it sucks. But if all you're worried about is how do I pay the least amount, that's why. I mean, this is why this is why when you start with your budget. In mind, so you're not sleeping in the back of your El Camino. That is why. I think, I think it's a good lesson. Because for $2,500 a month, I'm not sleeping there just because it's all I can afford. It's because I want to get my money's worth. Right? I want to make sure $2,500 a month, I am sleeping in this every night. That's why that guy got the 2500 Denali because it's got the long bed on it and he can just put the air mattress back there. That's what they should do. They should make those SUVs now with like futons in the back 
And notice this flips down to a queen size mattress for you to sleep in because the payment is as much as your rent. We'll even include the old milk jug you can pee in. Coming up next is a gentleman whose passive income now exceeds $300,000 a year. And by the way, this is according to is him. Is it really and passive I, though? Or is it like work that he's calling passive? Well, and, and that's the interesting thing because this gentleman courts controversy dun, dun, dun. whenever he says things like that. His name is Sam Dogan. He's the founder of Financial Samurai in 2009, one of the most read personal finance blogs. And also he tends to court controversy, it seems like, wherever he goes. He's got a brand new book out though. Sam and I have known each other for a long time. And actually, Sam helped us, OG, in the early days of uh, Stacking Benjamins, get this show off the ground. But Sam is never one to shy away from a discussion or a pot-stirring comment. And by the way, for me, that is part of what makes personal finance fun, is the fact that people think it's boring. This is a guy that never makes it boring. Sam Dogan coming down to the basement in a second, but Doug, to get us there, I think you've got some trivia for us. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And am I the only one who thinks it's maybe fate that Mr. Financial Samurai Sam Dogan is waiting upstairs to talk about buy this, not that on the same day that a place lots of Americans buy, Kohl's department stores opened its doors in 1962? One thing people were buying a lot of in the early 80s was the Smurfs, who debuted on NBC on this date back in 1982. I wonder what the Smurfs did for money. Hey, there's a question. If Papa Smurf walked into a Kohl's department store to buy a gift for Gargamel, based on his economic principles, how much would he expect to pay and how would he pay for it? I'll be back with the answer right after I go Smurf up the kitchen. I don't even know what that means. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, you know, what I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. Want to say a special shout out to 
uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Hey there, stackers. I'm Cole's mystery shopper and Smurf appreciator, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I can hear Sam Dogan on his way down the stairs, so let's get you your trivia answer. The question was, based on his economic principles, if Papa Smurf walked into a Kohl's department store to buy a gift for Gargamel, how much would he expect to pay? Well, I gotcha, because the Smurfs didn't use money because they believed that the best method of taking care of each other was simply sharing so that everyone would thrive together. Well, that means Papa Smurf would have expected to pay zero dollars for his gift. The bigger news is that the Smurfs shouldn't have been blue. They should have been red, because it seems to me that the Smurfs were clearly communists. I mean, who knew? And now, let's say hello to the financial samurai, Sam Dogan. I haven't talked to this guy in forever, although I read his work all the time. Mr. Financial Samurai, Sam Doggins here. How are you, man? Hey, Joe. Good seeing you. I haven't talked to you maybe in a decade. <laughs> the last time you and I saw each other, which was also the first time we saw each other, and you, by the way, built this great network of bloggers that I'm forever grateful to because I got to uh, network with a bunch of cool people and work with them, but you and I in Denver with a guy named Dr. Dean, who used to contribute to the show yeah. back in the early days, we went to this steakhouse. And I don't know if you remember this, but we sat right across from Al Michaels and from- Oh, um, yes. <laughs> That's we, right, Monday Night Football. We did, yes. And and the guy, Bob Costas. It was Al Michaels and Bob Costas. Oh, thanks for that memory. Yes. And you know, Dr. Dean is, is big time now, right? Yes, he puts us to shame as a- uh, Georgia state legislator for all I mean, this time. What? Like he's a Senator. I mean, we're, <laughs> I we're attracting big time people. <laughs> I know. How about that? Well, I, I always thought it was amazing when, uh, you know, when Bob Costas came over and he wanted your autograph, that was, the <laughs> yeah, big, right. <laughs> he was like, uh, yeah, can you pick up the bill or something? <laughs> I want to ask you, let's start here on the topic of financial independence, Sam, because I feel like reading the introduction to your book. And actually when you and I talked before, that you latching on to financial independence really was born out of your time at Goldman Sachs. Uh, would you say that's true? And could you tell us a little bit about your time at Goldman Sachs? Well, I joined Goldman in 1999 after going through literally 55 or more interviews over six, seven rounds. And it was so painful. And I thought I finally landed my dream job, you know, a front office job at Goldman Sachs in New York City. What's better than that? My first salary was $40,000 and I thought, wait, that's it? I couldn't even rent an apartment on my own. So I needed a co-signer 
and I needed a roommate for my studio. And then they made me get in at 5.30 in the morning when it was pitch black. And then they made me stay after 7 p.m. when it was dark because I had to connect with my colleagues in Asia. And so pretty soon, literally within the first week, I was thinking to myself, there is no way I'm going to be able to last in this industry and environment like my parents did with their government jobs for you know, 30, 40 years. So I need to save and figure out a way to get out. You created an 18-year plan. Was that the original plan? Well, I told myself, okay, what's a reasonable plan? You know, I went to school for 13 years. I better work for at least 13 years. Uh, So, okay, age 40, that sounds like a good age to exit 18 years after joining uh, the workforce. So let me think if I can save and invest that amount of time, you know, extrapolate out the, the returns. Oh, okay, maybe I'll be able to leave and then just do what I want. So you put this plan together. How did it work? Well, so the plan worked well because of the pain I experienced every single day going to work. You know, I dropped calculus in college at 8 a.m. because it was too early. So for me to have to go into work at 5.30 a.m. under the fluorescent bright lights was, well, it was like torture. It was really like torture. So you said it worked. You're saying it worked because you were so damn diligent about it. Like every day you're like, screw this. I am <laughs> making this plan work. I mean, all the pain, the more pain I got, the more yelling I got and the more stress I felt. I was like, okay, I just got to save more and more. Every single dollar I saved was like, ah, a little bit closer to that freedom that I might experience one day. So I really had to keep the faith and it's just really stressful. And that's the irony of having a bad job right out of college or just a bad job in general. It forces you to think about your future more. It forces you to forecast when you'll be so miserable that you just can't continue and that you need a backup plan. Well, and I love this idea of getting out of the bad job. And you you say something very early in your book that, that I, I want to focus on. You, t- you make this, draw this difference between not losing and winning, right? Yeah. That there's, a, th- there's really two different types of strategies. And obviously yeah. by this, not that, you want to talk about winning. But tell me about the difference between these two things, because not losing really is still not winning, Well, you know, I play a lot of tennis. And so what happens in any kind of competitive sport, if you're ahead, you know, you might start playing more defensively. You might play not to lose instead of play to win. So playing not to lose is to play defense and and to just take less risk because you don't want to blow it. But then oftentimes when you play not to lose, you end up choking and you end up losing it anyway. So if you play to win, it's an aggressive mindset. So it's kind of like with buy this, not that. Defense in terms of money is saving and budgeting and making sure all that is down pat correct. The offense, the playing to win is really focusing on the income, whether it's getting a promotion or getting paid at work, job hopping to a better opportunity, going to a different city, developing side hustles or starting your business on the side on on the weekends. And it's difficult to do that, to play to win when you haven't built the foundation. Yeah, I mean, it, that's true. We've all got to build that foundation. We focus and build that foundation until it's autopilot. You know, we all know, pay yourself first, max out or try to contribute as much as possible to your tax advantage retirement accounts. Get that stuff down pat. You know, whether it takes six months, one year, two years, once that's on an autopilot, then you know, worst case scenario, you've got that down, but you can play to win and go offensive. You, you crack me up at the beginning of your book because you, you're like, I've never met a spreadsheet that I didn't love. So <laughs> clearly, clearly my type of person, 
but you analyze all of these different pieces buy this thing, not that do this and not that. But you started off with this whole mindset idea and get very analytical about the steps that you need in your mindset and the steps to go through your mindset. It all starts with something that you call the 70, 30 philosophy. Can you dive into what that is for us? So one of the core principles of buy this, not that is to encourage people to think in probabilities, not absolutes. If you start thinking you need a hundred percent certainty to make a decision, you're going to miss out on so many opportunities, right? You're going to miss out on, you know, the girl that you liked in high school that you wanted to ask out, but you were too chicken to ask out because you don't want to get rejected because you weren't sure. So you end up never asking them out. And then 10 years later, you see them at the coffee shop and you say, oh, hi, do you remember me from high school? And you admit to her, oh, I used to like you a lot. I had a crush on you. And then she says, you know what? I had a crush on you too. Why didn't you ask me out? And then you're like, oh, we we missed out on 10 years of love and romance. (laughs) How many times have you heard that story, by the way? You hear that story all the time. All the time. And we all, it's like sitting in front of the classroom. You don't want to raise your hand and ask a teacher a question because you're afraid people think you're a dumbass, right? But I say, go for it. Ask that question because I'm sure other people have those same questions as well. So so back to your question on what is the 70-30 decision-making framework and philosophy? That is... Basically, if you have a 70%, if you believe with a 70% conviction rate that there is a 70% plus probability you're making the right choice, go for it. While having the humility and understanding that, you know what, 20, 30% of the time you're going to get it wrong. But unless it's a disaster, like you're never coming back because you're dead or something, you're going to learn from your mistakes and get better and make better decisions over time. As I read you talking about that, I thought about something a mentor of mine said, which totally aligns with this. And I love adding the 70-30 idea to this principle that I already had, which is contemplate what your downside is. Like if you ask her out and she says no, well, dude, you're already at no. You know what I mean? You're already already there. So clearly, what is the downside? If she doesn't like you, she already isn't dating you. So who cares? Like, just go do it. Yeah, exactly. I like both of those things. But but I love the 70 because it pushes you even more. Like it pushes you because y- you make a big point of this all the way through the book, Sam, that it's really about action. It's not about what you know. It's about getting enough information to get off your butt and do it. Yeah, you got to do it. You can think all day. You can have all these ideas. But if you never take action, nothing good or bad is ever going to happen. And I firmly believe, firmly believe at my age now at 45, the fear in your head is often way worse than the reality. So if I were to tell myself, go back to my 22-year-old self, I would say take more risk. Be bolder. Don't worry about other people's criticism and that fear. Things will probably be okay 70 plus percent of the time. Yeah. And if they're not, it's usually not irrevocable, right? right. Go ahead and make the mistake and you'll learn from it. And, right. and yeah, and I- Better it, to make the mistakes when you're young too. Absolutely. And why is it that it, whenever I meet 20-year-olds, they're always the, the people that are most afraid of making a mistake? Like, I feel like I'm way less afraid at 54, Sam, now making a mistake than I did that. Yeah. I mean, wisdom and experience, they're priceless. And that's why if you ever find yourself saying, if I knew then what I know now, things would be much better. To cure that saying, to never say that again, is to simply Latch on to a mentor, listen to people who've been there before, read a great book, 
listen to the Stacking Benjamins podcast, listen to people who have that wisdom experience because they will help you avoid those landmines. I was going to say, go read Financial Samurai. Damn it. That's what we, <laughs> we need to do. Read by this, not that. But this leads, so these are like dominoes, so the 70-30 philosophy yes. then, then leads us into your happiness equation, which is really where you start the book is on your happiness equation. Let's talk about the happiness equation for a second. What does that mean? So happiness, there, I, I got two definitions. One definition of happiness is progress. So making progress in whatever you want to do, whether it's your relationship, your career, your money. That's my one word definition of happiness. The happiness equation is simply reality minus expectations. And I have found that as someone you know who grew up in a middle-class household, uh, I went to state school and I had low expectations, frankly. I was like, you know, I, I don't have a high SAT score. I don't have like, you know, 3.940 GPA. I'm going to go to a state school. It cost $2,800 a year back in 1995. That's the College of William and Mary. If I graduate with no job, which a lot of people don't graduate with a job, I could return to my McDonald's job getting yelled at by a power tripping manager for $4 an hour and I could pay my parents back that tuition within six months. And so my expectations were low. And so the reality was I found a job in New York City at a great firm and I was ecstatic. I was so ecstatic. And I've held that happiness equation for my entire life. It's because I have low expectations of myself. But I like that. And I want to stop here for a second and make sure that all the stackers in our community get this. It's not about the outcome as much as it's about progress, right? Because I feel like too many of us are outcome-based and, 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 and we will do the right things. Back to your 70-30, Sam, as you already well know, we'll do the right things and get the wrong outcome and we'll stop doing the right things. Like we can't yes. do that. But what I really want to go into is you say from this happiness equation that we need a net worth that we can shoot for, right? We need a yeah. net worth number that we can shoot for. I love this idea of shooting for a net worth number, but is there an easy way that you come up with that? Or do we do like, you know, I've suggested in the past, which is just do a little bit of work to create your plan. Well, we all, well, I don't know if we all know, but there's the 4% rule, right? And that the inverse of the 4% rule is 25 times your expenses. And I am not a believer in the 4% rule. One, because I have lived without a paycheck since 2012 and to me, it's too aggressive. Uh, but two, uh, the other reason why is 4% rule was created in the 1990s when the risk-free rate, the 10-year bond yield, was between 5 to 6%. So, of course, you could spend and withdraw down 4% of your portfolio when you can earn a risk-free 5 to 6%. You know, you don't need a PhD uh, to come up with that math. And so times have changed, right, over the past 30 years. And because times have changed, our approach to finances have changed and we should change with it, right? We're not robots. We look at what's going out there. You know, the corrections are more violent. Hopefully the bull markets are longer. The future returns might be lower. You know, these are all things we have to take into consideration now here in 2022 versus in the 1990s. And so I like to look at a multiple of gross average income instead of expenses. And the reason why is because if you use a multiple of expenses to come up with a net worth target, you can cheat. You can just say, I'm going to start eating rice and beans every day mm. to get to financial independence. Yeah, Whereas yeah. if you use a multiple of income, you can never cheat. You always have to be saving and focusing as your income grows, 
which is what most of us do, right? Over our careers, our income grows. So as you use a multiple of income, then your savings and investing will grow too. And my minimum target is 10x income, but my ultimate target is 20x income for a net worth. And I love this for all the money nerds out there because the only person, when you say cheat, Sam, the only person you're cheating is you, right? Because if you say that I'm done and then the market does what it's done this year, yeah. Well, you, you just screwed yourself. That's all you did. Exactly. I mean, so only really you know what you need and you have to be true to yourself in terms of what your financial independence number is. My definition of financial independence is when you have enough passive or semi-passive investment income or royalty income to cover your basic living expenses, right? So we can come up with different fire terms all we want to make ourselves feel better and fit our situation because that's what we do, right? We need to make ourselves feel better to give, give ourselves the motivation to continue. But you got to be true to yourself. You, you yourself know the real number. Yeah. These fire terms drive me crazy anyway, like <laughs> fat fire, lean fire. Let's just avoid a dumpster fire. That's what I, yeah, exactly. that's what I think you and I want. Um, I want to back up on something you said earlier, because you were yeah. talking about risk-free income and you have a little inset in your book about one metric that you've looked at for a long period of time, which is the 10-year treasury. Yes. And you say that you really focus on this one thing. Can you explain yes. to us why you focus so much on the 10-year? Yes. So if there's one data point, economic number to focus on, it's the 10-year bond yield. So the 10-year treasury has a yield. And it is the risk-free rate of return. So if you invest in a 10-year treasury bond, you will get that yield every single year and all your principal back after 10 years. And it's risk-free because it is issued by the U.S. government. And the U.S. government is sovereign, right? If we don't believe in the U.S. government, then we we don't believe in anything, right? And so the risk-free rate of return will tell you many things. One, it will tell you expectations about inflation. So if the yield is going up, inflation expectations are probably going up. If the yield is going down, inflation expectations are going down. The 10-year yield is also a metric to use for investors. So you wouldn't invest in anything, whether it's real estate or stocks, if you cannot return greater than the 10-year bond yield, the risk-free rate of return, right? So you basically can figure out your equity risk premium. So let's say the 10-year bond yield is at 3%. That's risk-free number. What do you require, what kind of premium do you require over 3% to invest in stocks, to invest in real estate, to invest in anything? And if that premium is at zero, you're not going to bother investing in anything. It's a complicated number that encapsulates economics, expectations, inflation, unemployment, future returns, everything. And that is the one number I hope everybody follows and studies over the long term. Yeah. It seems like just a very nice shortcut for us, right? Instead of focusing on all these things, if it's encapsulated in this one marketplace, I get all this data at once. And it also seems to go very nicely, Sam, with your 70-30 rule, right? Where, where, you know what, based on this number, if I'm evaluating an investment, this will tell me the likelihood that this is worth investing in or not and, and gives me some leverage. Yes. It's, for example, let's say, so this year in 2022, the 10-year bond yield peaked at 3.48%. And that's up about 2% from the beginning of the year. And that was because inflation expectations were huge. And then people expected the Federal Reserve to hike Fed funds rate to 3.5%. And everybody was freaking out. But then you see 
the June inflation numbers come out and the July num numbers will come out and they're rolling over all the data points and then those expectations go down. And then you see risk assets start gaining a bid because, ah, finally, our expectations for ever rising inflation is getting moderated now so we can better model returns and earnings expectations and so forth. So it is a really important number and it's a fundamental number for people trying to achieve financial independence and trying to retire early and figure out their safe withdrawal rate as well. I don't know that I like the word hack, but that's a great hack. I mean, that is a fantastic hack. There's one more from early in the book that I'd like you also to explain to people because this is an amazing thing to do because it's mostly about behavior. You talk about tethering income and your investments. Mm -hmm. If you can explain this to people, this is another powerful thing, Sam, because I feel like it's about it helps you stick with the plan, right? When yes. you do this tethering thing, explain this idea. Well, so to build enough passive income, you got to build a taxable investment portfolio or a rental property portfolio. If this is money outside of your tax advantaged accounts. So it's already hard enough for you know some people to max out their 401k or do the IRA and all that. But to go a step beyond and try to build a taxable portfolio that's 1x, 2x, 3x greater than your tax advantaged accounts, it's very difficult. And some people, because of the difficulty, won't bother to start. And so with you, if you tether your investments to something that matters, small things, then it becomes easier. So for example, you can tether your investment in the S&P 500, like an SPY index ETF, to paying for your daily coffee habit of $3, right? And the $3 day, maybe that's $1,000 a year and you try to figure out how much do I need to invest to generate $1,000 a year at a 4% rate of return. So you take 1,000 divided by 4% and you come up with that target amount to invest in. So if you tether all those little things that you enjoy doing in your life, pretty soon you'll get to a bigger thing. Maybe the biggest challenge will be tethering what investment that'll pay for your mortgage and then what investment will pay for your child's education and what investment will pay for your Hawaii trip around the world or whatever. And you just keep on going and that keeps you motivated. I love it because staying motivated, especially in down markets like now, like you see so many people, Robinhood's laying off a bunch of people. Why? Because nobody's trading right now. Hopefully that's good. But you and I, you've been in this game as long as I have. It generally isn't good. I mean, the, the average person is not trading, not because they're smart, but because we always do the wrong stuff and we just, oh yeah. man, holding Please on. Please don't trade, is, folks. Oh, I mean, yeah. you'll, after a year of trading, you're going to calculate all your wins and losses and you'll be like, that's it? You could have spent that time building a business, trying to get promoted, helping your colleagues. I remember uh, I traded so much while I was working in finance that I got pulled aside by the senior managing director from New York City and he came out and he said, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? Aren't you doing your job? And, and the funny thing is I ended up making like maybe like a couple thousand dollars, but I had literally seven figures worth of trades because I was like in and out, in and out. It was such a career limiting move. And at the end of the time, it was a waste, it was a waste of time. Wow. Wow. Don't, don't day trade folks. Just focus on the long term and asset allocate, asset allocate, reduce stress, believe in the process. Next time you come on, Sam, I want to talk about your views on income streams, because obviously you go into multiple income streams. You talk about everything you uncover uh, going into real estate, 
You talk about being location independent or changing your location. You, heck, you talk about weddings. You go through, do this, not that, buy this, not that, and all these different areas. What do you think, yeah. though, is the one area of the book that people aren't going to talk about enough that you wish they talked about more? Because from one author to another, like I think we all have this area of the book, and you're like, damn it, there's this one part of the book that I <laughs> wish we'd focus more on that we just don't do. Well, I am completely biased because I'm in the thick of fatherhood right now. Uh, my son is five and a half, my daughter's two and a half, and I'm 45. And so one of my biggest regrets, biggest regrets was having children late. Uh, I had my son when I was almost 40. And so I wish someone would slap me upside the head when I was 18, 20, 30, and said, the children that come into your life will be the most valuable things you have ever. And therefore, it is better to have them sooner so that they take up a greater percentage of your remaining life than later. I wish someone told me that. And if I did, someone did tell me that, I would have focused and planned on family planning sooner. I would have got rid of the notion that I needed, you know, a million dollar net worth before I could have my first child in San Francisco. Because a lot of us you know, you know, dual income household, we're grinding away at work, we're focused on getting paid and promoted. And then we wake up one day at 35 years old, we've got this money, but our biology suddenly doesn't cooperate. You know, I know so many couples who can't have children or have had many miscarriages. I think 15, 20% of couples have miscarriages because it's so hard the later, you know, you try. And so that is the one thing I hope, um, you know, people who don't have kids, people who have kids who want to be grandparents one day. I think this, this topic is uh, the most important topic for me in my heart. That's fabulous. As a guy who had kids at a younger age, and now my kids are 27 and I'm 54, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Because even though it was a pain in the ass and a huge struggle <laughs> trying to juggle yeah. all this crap when I was young, oh, man. Now, now you reap the rewards of it. Yeah, and you figured it out, right? Yeah, well, kind of. <laughs> We're still working on that every day, Sam. Uh, we just covered maybe, I don't know, the first 10% of this book. The book is By This, Not That. It's available everywhere. It was a fantastic read. I love going through it. But I want to end on this because you referenced this earlier. And I think this is just, this is a phenomenal story more people need to hear about you, which is you talked about the 55 interviews, but you made a decision to go to William and Mary, as you mentioned earlier, lower cost school, close to home, uh, a real ROI decision, still a heck of a great school, by the way, fantastic place to go. But like you said, your SATs weren't phenomenal. You said that you worry all the time that you don't think as fast as some other people do. So I hear all that and I'm like, wow, Goldman Sachs, as you know, Sam, because you've, you've been in that culture, mm -hmm. best and brightest. Can you tell the story about you ending up at Goldman Sachs? Because this is just a, this, this, I think will tell our audience what really, really matters at the end of the day. Mm. So I think the story is about uh, getting on the damn bus <laughs> yeah. at 6 a.m. There was a career fair in Washington, D.C., about two, two and a half hours north of Williamsburg, Virginia. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go on the bus. 6 a.m. I show up. I've got this really cheap suit with a tie that has a teddy bear and a balloon on it because I had to wear it because my girlfriend gave it to me, even though it's, I guess it was not appropriate, according to these Merrill Lynch recruiters who actually told me that's inappropriate. And so I got on the bus 
And I was waiting on the bus for about 45 minutes. Nobody else was on the bus. And then after about an hour, the bus driver said, you know what? Screw those kids. Let's go. I said, you're going to take me on the bus? And he said, no, we're going to switch vehicles. So he took me on the bus to this shack. Again, this is in Williamsburg, Virginia. And he pulled out a black Lincoln town car, you know, tinted windows and everything. That's like your dream, you know, back in 1998. And I was like, all right, I'll get in the car. And he chauffeured me two, two and a half hours to the career fair in Washington, D.C. And that is when I met the recruiter. Her name was Kim Perkis. I'll forever be indebted to her. She grilled me, grilled me like a sausage. Kept on sizzling me, <laughs> asking me about, you know, the Federal Reserve and what I thought about this stock. And, I, you know, I was like, ah, ah, I did my best and I thought I did great. And she goes, OK, welcome. Welcome to Super Day at Goldman Sachs at, you know, Old Slip Plaza, whatever that address was. And then I had 12 more interviews. I said, hey, I think I did pretty well. You know, I met all these other candidates, you know, who went to Ivy League schools and everything. I said, oh, I think I might have got the job. And they said, uh, Sam, you didn't get the job, but we'd like to invite you back again to find a home for you. And then they found, you know, I came back five more times. And then one time was at the derivatives desk. And I was not a math guy. And they made me read this book called Options as a Strategic Investment by Nate McMillan. It was like a thousand page book. It sounds like a page turner, page turner. (laughs) They said, go home and read this and come back to us. So I read it. I read the whole damn book. It's crazy. Came back a month later. And they asked me one question from chapter one of the book. What is a butterfly spread? (laughs) And then I was like, oh, I know the answer. But I didn't get that job either. And um, I have to tell this other story uh, because I went into the office at 7.30 a.m. up the elevator. It was a packed elevator. You know, you're like sardines. And I was in the front like this. And then I got out. I got out as quick as I could to let everybody else out, right? I waited in this office for 30 minutes waiting for the MD to come interview me. He came into the room. He said, hey, he looked at me straight in the eye. He said, never, ever get out of an elevator first before a woman. And then he walked away. Sorry. Sorry, sir. (laughs) And that was it. So that was one of my 55 interviews that I will never forget. So now I never, even if it's packed sardines, I will push you back and get out of the way <laughs> so, now, so a lady can step out of the elevator. But anyway, long story short, which was a long story, um, I was able to get that uh, job while I was uh, traveling abroad in Japan. And it was awesome. I just love the idea that showing up matters. And um, but yeah, just show up, people. Just show up and not just show up, but show up over and over again, right? Yeah. You know, through the criticism, through the hate, through the doubters, just keep on doing it. Because at the end of the day, you know, unless you're not, unless you're really hurting someone, you're doing good work. You're making progress. And over time, you're going to be surprised at how much progress and how much goodness will come your way. Hey, this is Jen Pilcher, Navy spouse of 23 years. And when I'm not helping military spouses connect in our digital community, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Sam Dogan for dropping by. You know, I know that there are a lot of money nerds who know everybody in the personal finance space. When Doc G showed a photo of himself, OG, reading Sam's book, his Facebook group blew up. Like the number of people saying, you shouldn't talk to that guy. You shouldn't spread 
whatever he's got going on. I tend to think differently. So does Doc G. However, uh, for the people that really want to see it outside the scope of our main interview, I asked him that question. People call him a troll. People people say that he courts controversy. People say he does some things that uh, they're not fans of. We asked him those questions. However, that's a niche audience that wants to talk about that and maybe needs to see this. So you'll see that portion of the interview over on our YouTube page. How about that? All right. Sounds good. Good points, though, made by Sam. And I think this is all about, oh, gee, this is all about opportunity cost. I mean, when we spend money on a monthly car payment, like we were talking about earlier, if you're spending $2,600 on a monthly car payment and you can't reach your retirement goals, that's your opportunity cost right there. Yeah. And, and then I think it's a, the other side of that is also true. If you are reaching your financial goals and you want to have a $2,600 car payment, good for you. Have at it. Who am I to argue with you about how you spend your money? You need to be in charge of your own stuff. And if you're saying, hey, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm on track. I want to spend money this way. This is what I want to do. Okay, cool. If you're not on track, then be honest with yourself and go, what are the areas that I can take care of to kind of tighten it up? What are the things that I can do to you know, be more intentional about how I spend money? And that even goes as far as what we were talking about with Doug earlier on about leasing a car. If you want a new car all the time and you know you're going to want a new car the rest of your life and you're okay with the fact that this may be net worth wise suboptimal, but you can consistently get in the new car, go for it if all of your goals are being taken care of. Yep. Absolutely. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, shall we? (laughs) And tackle some of life's biggest Oh my goodness, I say this every week and I have no idea what it is. That's, you know, you're gone for a week and you've got no clue. Oh, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first. I'm going to go with the fact that it is officially fall. It is uh, technically, the Weather Channel tells me, meteorological fall starts September 1st, which you know what that means. It's all those sweater vests that we can now w- get out. We can wear sweaters and cardigans. Um, it's really awkward when it's still 97 degrees and you're like sweaty, but you're like, but I really want my pumpkin spice latte, my sweater vest. I love, I mean, sweater vests are great. I get a lot of grief uh, wearing sweater vests, but it, it, they are perfect if there's a really narrow cold front coming through. I've never seen anybody wear more sweater vests than Doug. Never in my entire life. Like seriously, never, <laughs> They're ever. wonderful. You get it's because you get to show off the fashion of the vest and whatever the sleeves are that you're wearing on a normal sweater. You maybe get the collar to peek out, but, but with the sweater vest, you're rocking like two or three layers of fashion yeah. all at and once. And if you get cold, you can put your hands right, like, <sighs> on, you know, there and they're warm. It's the best invention in the garment industry. It's like a ever. garment mullet. It's just amazing. <laughs> okay. So now there's a different poll we got to have. We've got, are there flavors to the veggie straws? And what are your feelings about vests? Doug's only upset that the sweater vest can't be worn with his dickies. <laughs> true, true, true story. Oh, I've got the guns for that. I'm going to do that. I totally have the guns to pull that off. <laughs> oh, man. I just threw up in my mouth. That is so, oh, I do not want to see it. It's your loved ones in your time that you value, <laughs> believe nice it or not. save, Joe. Yes. That's why they may buy quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life now. You'll get a free quote. 
love what they're doing at Haven Life because they are committed to offering a modern way for you to buy life insurance. And that means their application has been simplified. So it takes so much less time than the old style applications. It's all online. So you can just get it done and you'll get an instant coverage decision. No more waiting forever for that decision and really lovely customer support. And of course they're backed by mass mutual more than 160 years old. Today we're throwing out the lifeline to our friend, Jess. Hey Jess. What up stacking Benjamin squad. This is Jess. I'm 45 years old, not married, no kids, and just throwing it out there that I am addicted to Spindrift. No thanks to Joe. <laughs> I have a decision to make about my HSA, and I need some opinions. So for the last four years, I've been on a high-deductible plan with an HSA. Right now, it's got about $14,000 in it, and I've intended to hack and save those receipts to cover medical expenses with the account in my later retirement years. But this year, I was diagnosed with a chronic health condition that's going to require regular testing, more frequent than average doctor visits. So I have a choice to switch over to a regular plan. Now, both of the plans have a $1,500 deductible, which is really low on the high deductible health plan side. But if I switch over to the regular plan, I'll lose access to my HSA. But the benefit is I'm only going to have to pay $45 to $50 copays every time I go to the doctor. And let's just say that I'm going to make the assumption I'm probably going to hit my deductible if I stay on that high deductible plan every year. So I'm starry-eyed on the HSA. My mom thinks it's a better idea if I move over to the regular plan where I will only have the copays. What would you do if you were in my shoes? I'm looking mostly for opinions, rants, especially if you disagree, and let Doug chime in once in a while. See ya. <laughs> yes. Wow. Thank you so much for that. And congratulations on joining the Spindrift Army. I don't know if you guys know this, but over on Afford Anything, just to annoy Paula on her show because she does not like product placement stuff. I told her at the beginning of the episode, I was sitting here with a Spindrift ready to start and Paula's eyes got all big and she went, oh, you know, we, we, we need to take that out. And so the entire episode, I said, did you know that Spindrift has no artificial flavoring? Do you know that Spindrift comes in six flavors? And just, and uh, we had a lot of fun on that episode and got a lot of good feedback, including Jess over here. So just wanted to explain what the hell's going on there. But there's a bigger thing, OG. Who's right? Is Jess right about the HSA? Should she go HSA with her health issues or should she go the way her mom's suggesting? Well, I think that you can always go back and forth generally speaking, right? So whatever this health thing is, maybe it's not a big deal now, but it's going to turn, it could turn into a big deal later, right? Or maybe it's going to be the same all the time. If you've got the flexibility to pay your out-of-pocket healthcare costs to the tune of 1500 bucks a year and also participate in an HSA, what would you do with the money otherwise, right? So you would not pay the $1,500. Your premiums, health insurance premiums, probably be a little bit higher and you would not have the opportunity to take that HSA money and put it into an HSA. You'd put it in a regular brokerage account. So you'd give up the opportunity to have that money grow tax-deferred and potentially use it tax-free. So it sounds like in any case, she's got the ability to pay for it. So I would like to pay for it, but do it under my own terms. And what I mean by that is take the HSA write the check for the deductibles. It is what it is. It's 50 bucks. Maybe you spend, you know, 100, 1500 bucks in deductible money every year, but you have the eligibility to, uh, to dump money in the HSA. So that's what I would pick. You know, and it's funny because a lot of people, as you know, OG, 
you've heard this a lot, HSAs, when you run into health trouble, are not that effective because the amount you pay is going to be so much out of pocket. However, Scott Heiser agrees with you. He's a, he's a guy that has been in healthcare for a long time and in health insurances for a long time. We did a great interview with him about a year and a half ago now. In fact, we had him back just on YouTube for a special second appearance for people that missed it. You can go to our YouTube channel and we will definitely just for you link to that in our show notes page because OG, he agrees with you that if your expenses are going to be really, really high and you get through this higher deductible, the cost of the insurance is often so much less that if you're going to pay a lot of money out of pocket, go with the HSA. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, you know, obviously there's like some break-even calculations and, and it's one of these scenarios where it's like, how do you know whether or not you got it right? You know, on December 31st, whether or not you picked right on January 1st, it is what it is. We've had it in our house where we're like, oh, there's nothing wrong. Everything's good. And then I get jabbed with a COVID shot and I go to the hospital and it's 13 grand. You know, it's like, oh, that's fun. Cool. There goes, you know, years and years and years of HSA savings, you know, all in one fell swoop, you know, and then there'll be other years where we don't have any healthcare expenses. You just, you know, you just don't know. So if you've got the flexibility and you're going to write the check anyway, I would want to write the check under my own terms. And what I mean by that is you've allocated $5,000 a year to your healthcare budget. You can either do that in premiums and no deductibles, or you can do it in deductibles with lower premiums and HSA money. I'd rather keep the money. I'd rather have it be mine. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Jess. And you know what? We went through that whole thing and she said she wanted uh, Doug's commentary on this. I think we need to clear the floor for a second. Doug, uh, your thoughts? I, I mean, just the fact I'm just being nominated is an honor, honestly. She just wanted to hear my voice. I don't even think she really cares what I say. Really? She just wants to hear the dulcet tones of neighbor death. I feel like this is the... Uh, Sally Field, they like me. They really like they me. Absolutely. You like me. You really like me. And then she did, you hear? She did the, see ya. Yeah. I haven't used that in a long time. I just realized I haven't said, see ya. And I just well, did you got to pr- apparently bring it back uh, yeah. like you did just there. That means she's a long time listener. Thanks to Jess for that question. Jess, sad to hear about your medical issues. Hope everything is great. Hopefully um, you can dive into that. I would dive into that Scott Heiser discussion. Because you may also want to begin comparing prices, Um, and Scott has some great advice there. Talking about OG, how a lot of people will go to a different country for healthcare to save money. Uh, We have a friend, Lynette Kalfani-Cox, who has been on the show a few times, big financial commentator. Lynette actually went to Mexico to get her dental work done, some dental work done that cost a lot less. Scott Heiser says you can even just go across town often. You don't have to jump on a plane. And so some of the money saving, I got free dental work done when I was in the Marine Corps. (laughs) And then when I got home, my dentist went, why are you missing a tooth? And I said, well, it was bad. He goes, it wasn't bad four months ago when you had your dental visit. Really? (laughs) Wow. Wow. It was free. Yeah. It was free. Score one for me. So Jess, you want to go watch that Scott Heiser uh, video on YouTube. By the way, if you want to call in, we're sending Jess a uh, Stacky Benjamin's Haven Life shirt for being brave. StackyBenjamins.com slash voicemail uh, for us to answer your question. Hey, that's going to do it for today. We got just a few things uh, here at the beginning of eight weeks. If you're here because you want surround sound, we've got plenty of that for you. 
We have our newsletter, The 201. I mentioned earlier, this is the place where we dive into links and more on the topics that we cover in the show. So you don't have to have cut the show to catch the newsletter. Of course, they are a good one to punch together, but a lot of deeper dives on The 201. Brooke uh, does a great job of that. And of course, you get some of mom's snarky humor like you expect from us anyway. Also on Wednesdays, we have the Instagram lives. That's nearly every Wednesday. As long as I am in mom's basement, uh, we do a great Instagram live, which is often with a fintech creator. So you can keep up to date with all these cool apps that help you on your phone. Uh, increasingly, by the way, we're also going to have some of our longer uh, headline guests, people like experts from Fidelity, from Charles Schwab, from BlackRock, wherever they are. They'll be live with us, so you can ask some of these pros uh, questions as well. I like to try to do that. But last, if you're not here for surround sound at all, you're here because you need to make better financial decisions because you're concerned about the market and the chatter around recession. We talked about possibly bear market on the horizon. Who knows? OG and his team have put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market. This guide will help you plan more panic less no matter what the market does. So head over to stackybenjamins.com slash guide. That's stackybenjamins.com slash guide, and you'll get helpful free guide from OG. Thanks for that, OG. That's going to do it for us today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, here's what we should have learned today. First, take some advice from Sam Dogan, the financial samurai. Choices are everything. Make the big decisions with more precision, and you'll find yourself with more money in no time. Second, buying the dip? Yeah, don't do that. Just buy whenever possible. But the big lesson? I love the cool fall air, but I mean, today's show? Yeah, that's the smell of millionaire right there. Thanks to the financial samurai, Sam Dogan, for joining us today. You'll find his new book wherever books are sold. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Brooke Miller is our producer today and our amazing newsletter editor of The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all The Basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show. You know, often we forget to hit record before we start recording, and it's usually good after show stuff. And today we were talking about getting kids to eat when we hit record. Uh, the problems dads have had and moms with trying to get their kids to eat. Oh no, I, I've got a food one. Autumn kept like throwing up the fish, right? Just, just like I don't like the fish. I don't like the fish, and, and she would barf it. And uh, we're like, oh, Herb, like, I'm not going to take it. Game is pretty strong. But we think it's all just mental. So one day I'm making fish and uh, Cheryl and I agreed. Like, she has no idea. She has no clue. So the kids come home from school and she's like, dad, what are we having for dinner? And I said, chicken, making chicken. And so we, we sit down at dinner with our salmon and we get partway through it. And Autumn goes, dad, I think there's something wrong with the chicken. I said, why? She goes, because it tastes like fish. I go, maybe, maybe she does know. Maybe she's, maybe she's got a clue. Did she Ralph it up? Uh, I don't remember, but it turns out that, that fish just is not her her thing. And then she moved to Japan where guess what they have all the time? Steak. So she had to learn to like shellfish. That is half of my apprehension for traveling internationally now. Um, It wasn't when I'm young because you're don't care about anything when you're young is the food because i'm allergic to so much stuff and my stomach has gotten so unpredictable like where can i go where i can just eat and not have to learn certain words in different languages to tell them you might kill me maybe that would help me like maybe is 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 there a way for is there a way for me to become allergic to some stuff because you know my diet coach struggles with me so if we we, if we decide if we decide to get rid of the discipline thing and i just it will kill me (laughs) <laughs> that might finally get it through my, my problem head. is I'm not allergic to carbs. <laughs> <laughs> and you wish you were. Yeah. I'm allergic to the you're supposed to eat. I need to be allergic to ice cream and beer. That's what I right. need to be allergic to. <laughs> yes. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website. Resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.